Welcome to Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina, a podcast series devoted to the teaching of rhetoric and composition with and through a range of media and focused on the writing program at St. Louis University. For our final episode of the season, we have a conversation between our outgoing and incoming writing program administrators, Paul Lynch and Nathaniel Rivers, on their aims and agendas with the writing program at St. Louis University. I'm Paul Lynch, uh, Associate Professor of English here at St. Louis University and the Outgoing Writing Program Coordinator. I'm Nathaniel Rivers, uh, also an Associate Professor of English, and I'm the Incoming Writing Program Coordinator. And that fraught relationship is what brings us together today. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was Byron's solid idea that we'd end the season of Eloquentia Perfecta, Perfecta Ex Machina with the kind of reflection with Paul about sort of what he's done, getting him to think about sort of his his legacy, I guess, um, and then Legacy's using that. the right word for sure. I think yeah. it's going to be. Right. I think because people are going to want to say ruined, yeah. soiled legacy, <laughs> and then using his reflections as a way for me personally to think about stepping into this office, and so kind of talking back and forth about what he's done, and what I might do, and how those things will resonate with one another. So, okay, take it away, Paul. Thoughts? I think. What we did, I mean, the big things we did, I think, um, when the history of this period is written, is that we redesigned the course, redesigned it again once faculty started teaching it with faculty input. And I think maybe the biggest change is I think there is greater departmental investment in the in the course. Um, the fact that faculty are teaching it as a regular part of the rotation, the fact that they had a direct hand in... Uh, the redesign to get the course to where it is now. And then I think, we're pr- I like to think, we'll find out that it's the program's pretty well positioned to articulate what writing should look like at the university as the new university-wide core starts to emerge. And I think that's already happened a little bit. I mean, every core model has some place for the first-year course, but also has a a demand or some kind of requirement for there to be advanced writing courses, writing in the discipline, some kind of model. I think everyone realizes that there isn't enough writing instruction for SLU students in general that were way below our peer institutions. And I think the program and the department had some, you know, hand in in making sure the core committee knew that and that that's going to be something that changes in the new system, which I hope will then position the department to be of particular service to the core and to the wider faculty. Yeah. So actually, I have sort of two, two follow-up questions, one that looks backward and one that looks forward. I like sort of the language of articulating, right, both in terms of how the, it actually connects with the core, but also um, if you could talk a little bit more about the process of sort of internally articulating it. Sure. Right. So how's the, how's the program talk to itself, particularly mm. given that as you've just described, that there's more full-time faculty right. teaching in it alongside right. contingent faculty right. and graduate students. Right. That sort of how, as a as the writing program coordinator, not only do you, you get the program to show up outside of the department, right. but how do you get it to show up within the department as a way of kind of maintaining it internally? Yeah. Internally, 
I think the way it showed up, and partially it was a matter of just material conditions, as these things so often are. Course caps had to go up at the upper levels, right, for, for reasons that have nothing whatsoever to do with the writing program, which basically freed up faculty who needed a course to teach. And we mm-hmm. had this big, this uni- universal first-year writing requirement. And it seemed to me unwise that that... So, so basically, Toby came to me and said, so we're going to have faculty teaching this, right? This is going to be a thing. And it seemed to me it would be unwise to sort of say, well, we have a syllabus, and this is what you do. We have mm-hmm. a standard textbook, which we actually don't anymore. And this is, and I will now tell you what to do. Even though our our faculty approach this, I mean, literature faculty approaching and saying, I don't know what to do. Can you, you know, offer some guidance on how, or, or how do you approach it? What, what I'm trying to say is there was not and never been an attitude among our, our colleagues of, well, it's first year writing, so obviously... I know how to do it because anybody could know how to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And in fact, it was much the opposite. I still remember the meeting where this was announced, and we announced this sort of ad hoc committee uh, to kind of take another... I thought the best way to approach this was to say, let's take a look at the syllabus and the approach as a faculty and see, do we endorse this? Do we like it? To bring people in rather than trying to say, like, this is what it is. Do this, right? Mm -hmm. What I remember about that faculty meeting is I said, and if anyone would like to volunteer, you know, to kind of teach it and to to be on this ad hoc committee. And as I've told the story many times, within about 24 hours, nine of our colleagues had contacted me, either immediately in person. Georgia Johnston, our late beloved colleague, was the first in the meeting to say, I'm in. Mm -hmm. Then I think Phyllis was next, Devin Johnston, right? Pretty soon, you were in that committee. Yeah. And then, what, there were like 11 people in there yeah. talking seriously about the approach and making suggestions that I think were actually really good uh, about yeah. rethinking it. That, it was that, several good conversations yeah. about the tension between right. inquiry and advocacy. That's was right. A big one. Yeah, it was a big one about a kind of finished product versus a process. I mean, the questions we've been talking about in the field forever. Yeah. The, everyone's instincts were right about this. And, and so it really, I mean, made it feel like this, this course, again, is kind of owned by the department. The, the other thing I would say about this is, you know, we just had an external review through the uh, Council of Writing Program Administrators. And in their report to us, one of the things they remarked quite specifically on was they have never seen this level of cooperation and interest from a, from a non, you know, sort of quote-unquote non-writing faculty right. in the first-year course. And in fact, on on their campus visit that day, we, of course, had open meetings for graduate students, open meetings for adjunct faculty. The biggest attendance came from the faculty meeting. I mean, the meeting for the open meeting for faculty. Yeah. One of the things they remarked upon, too, was um, how faculty... I, did, I, I stepped out of that meeting so they could tell the ugly truth uh, without my being there. But one of the things they said that came out of that meeting was faculty saying, you know, it's gotten me to rethink the way I teach my lit courses, too, the way I teach writing elsewhere. And I hope that is indicative of what might happen as the university core if we have some role that faculty across the university will say you know actually teaching writing is not this is actually this intellectually pedagogically engaging thing that's getting me to rethink everything so no i think that was one of the things that at least i took away from that ad hoc committee and i think several people did that after a while the everybody in the committee sort of recognized that it was actually the only committee we had in the department that was devoted just to talking about pedagogy. Right. So there would be meetings where we actually would not 
really hash anything out with respect to 1900. Right. We would just be talking through what teaching is. Right. And that, I think, drew people in. That's right. I mean, one of the first uh, Eloquentia Perfect Ex Machina episodes, I think, was that big round table we had on the Disso logo, which kind of yeah. grew out of that sense of why don't we have more opportunities? We tried a brown bag series, yeah. and it kind of didn't take off. I think, again, people are pulled in a million different directions. Right. But Scheduled that for April. Yeah, right, 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 right. You'd have a better chance in July, you know. So I guess as a as a follow-up and maybe a slight shift, and full disclosure, my part of my questions are like, if if it's not clear already, how do I hold this thing together once you give it to me? Right? How did you? How does right. it? How does it articulate within itself? Right? right. How do I keep it from falling apart? Right. And so thinking about how you get faculty, who are already in the department, to kind of shift their interests in this way. Right. I guess the flip side would be people that are new to the whole enterprise, and then bringing them on board with teaching of first year writing. So the graduate students, right, right. with 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 no teaching experience in right. any kind of area. I think. The thing that we do that I think is is good is that no one gets to teach in the teach the course until they've taken English fifty ten, and that's really the place. And I think that that course, at least the way I've been teaching it, has evolved from what had been kind of a general sort of composition theory course to something that's kind of a blend of a practicum and a composition theory course. Since we have this structure and we have these assignments, I actually had the students do the assignment, and the graduate students like complete the assignments, mm -hmm. right? write a disologo on the composition theory, which they, I, I think it's fair to say, at least if the grapevine is at all accurate, they hated at the time. Yeah. But then perhaps came to see once they were teaching the course had been useful to anticipate what their students would be facing. Yeah. So I accept their apology. I just want to get that out there. It's good to know. Um, you know, so they... they uh, they can look me in the eye and the there'll, be a, there'll, be again. A, there'll be a string of last minute pardons before I, you I, that's, that's right. <laughs> right, exactly. Mm -hmm. A little midnight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone's off the hook. Yeah. Um, but I think that's one way to get to answer your question with the with the gra new graduate instructors, that course really becomes the site of introduction to this. And so what it becomes a, a site of really, I think, is a course in I mean, obviously in composition pedagogy, but also rhetorical theory. Mm -hmm. Because if anything holds it together, it is basic assumptions about rhetoric, yeah. about about arguing different sides of an issue, about audience, about context, you know, basic stuff. Not basic to them because they're encountering it very often for the first time. Right. In some ways, that class is, is it's overstuffed because of all the th I mean, not unlike first-year writing because right. of all the things it's trying to do. Yeah. Um, but I, that's what I feel most confident about. The instructors, I sometimes worry about are those who come with that equivalent kind of in their portfolio and never take that class with us, right? And they go straight into the classroom. Yeah. And then, and then, I mean, in recent years, our adjunct faculty have, have, I mean, they've been with us for a while. Yeah. And they are um, always incredibly, to my mind, committed to, to working with the program and doing what the program wants. I mean, if I were not to put too fine a point, if I, if I were working for what they're working for, I, w I wouldn't pay nearly as much attention to, to my memos as they do, right? Right, right. Um, you don't they, pay me enough to answer this email. That's right. You, right. You don't pay me enough to give a crap about your pedagogical theory, right? And yet, they're always there. But anyway, I think the big thing that creates a program ethos, like this is how we do this, this is why we do this, is English 5010. 
Um, I sort of wish we could require it for everyone who teaches in the program, even if you've got the equivalent. And this is something, even with English 1900. I was about to say, it's, it's pa- parallels the it's testing parallels out of 1900. It's exactly right. Right. I get these articulations, as you will, right? Um, so here are all the kids transferring from X. We'll talk about this at lunch later, right? <laughs> and, you know, I don't feel... How, how is it, empowered or secure just to deny them all and say, whatever you're doing, it wasn't what we did, right? Right. So if they have the research paper, right, and if it's not modes, right, the modes courses I usually do for 1,500, the research paper I usually do for, it's pretty crude. Yeah. And I feel like probably neither of these things actually describes what we're trying to do. Nor, yeah. Or um, even if it did, it's it's such a, I was having an earlier conversation with some colleagues in another unit talking about. Right. Right, what what kinds of courses we have to offer. And they were in the, I think it was occupational therapy, right? A very kind of practice-driven. Sure. And the idea that you could test out of a practice-based approach to learning right. kind of doesn't make any sense. Right. Right. One of the things, I, I went to one of the core, you know, the open meetings to give feedback on the core. And one of the issues they're looking at is this, this sort of trade-off of, do you have a larger core with more substitution available? Or do you have a smaller core where there's absolutely no substitution available. Yeah. And and based on my perspective as first year writing coordinator, I think smaller and non-negotiable. Right? I don't care if you took some writing class at your previous institution, you're taking ours. Right. Especially if it gets articulated within the core, right? Like if we're doing things that point toward the core, which I hope we do. Yeah, I mean that you've already thought through the ways in which the class. I mean, right, right. the number of times we talked about the ratio studiorum right. in that ad hoc group. That's right. Suggest that we've There's, thought about how this 1900 shows up at this particular institution, right. and could even moment. more so. And there were some some of the models that they, you know they proposed three models, and some of them were quite clear in saying here are the kind of questions we'd be hoping a first year course could ask. Now I think those that content will get renegotiated as they get more feedback, but the idea that English 1900 is a is a part of the core, not a precursor to it, but a part of it. Mm. Really appeals to me. Yeah, because the biggest thing with students, I think, and this is hardly any tar program, as you know, is this sense of first year writing is like death in taxes. You got to do it. No one wants to do it. Right. Be great if you didn't have to do it, but just do it. And I, if I could, if we could kill that attitude and yeah. make this something that's inviting. Yeah. I and I think we've. With the ad hoc group, the themes, the textbook, kind of the, the fact that there isn't a standard issue textbook, right? Yeah. There isn't a single set of readings you all have to do. I hope, I mean, in theory, get students to say, well, I'd like to do conflict, social justice, and rhetoric. That's in my area of interest, or I'd like to do. So some model like that, I think we're already looking at, but it's going to take a university cultural shift. Yeah, for it to show For up. advisors to say, hey, kid, you're interested in issues of sustainability, well, this is, you want the nature of ecology 1900, then right. not, you know, yeah. find it on the schedule. Don't just find what fits your no, and that, schedule. Which is also right, that the, the death and taxes approach that students take is, seems to be weirdly mirrored by the kind of inoculation model yes. that the uh-huh. that oftentimes the administration teaches. They, they Weirdly enough, the people making them take it and the people taking it have the same approach to it. That's and right. The people teaching it are, have would, a totally different take would on it. Like that's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, they're not they're not wrong, right? That's what that's what the curriculum teaches them, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so I guess just slightly building on that is is thinking about the themes. Is is are there ways that the 
graduate students and the adjuncts that teach the class have, at least in a, in a slightly different or curtailed way, there's a kind of same amount of possibilities for inventing within it that the faculty have, right? That there's... One of the ways of getting yeah. them invested in the course is feeling like it's it's their it's course theirs. that they're teaching. You know, one thing I did, I think that's slowly happening. You know, when we first did it, the first to open it up, it was sort of like an open call. Give me a pitch. Yeah. One way we kind of, and I can't remember now if we did this ahead of time or kind of came to this inductively, was to make them match the 2,000-level themes. I forget. So that gives a bit of a... And, 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 I think that's good, right? To give some parameters, right? Like, yeah. um, it's not rhetoric plus whatever the hell you want, right? There's some because they are novice instructors, yeah. right? And so guidance is, is needed. But even within those constraints, our initial thing was to say, to have an open call, guys, yeah. pitch me a course, right? And and again, it was it was adjuncts and graduate instructors already overworked, underpaid, who kind of came up with. I'd like to do this, you know, approach to gender identity. And and so, and that's, by the way, that's how the medical humanities section came out because there were graduate students, some of whom are still with us, who said, well, that's really what my interest is. And even though we don't have a 2,000 level that matches it, can oh, we do I see. that? And right. I, oh, sure. You know, I mean, why not? Given, again, where, you know, med- medicine is on this campus, of course you'd want this. And now... Dr. Vandenberg, Dr. Stiles, both t- this semester taught sections of that course. So it seems to be established. But anyway, to your question, I think, I mean, the assignments are laid out for the lar- most part. There's a lot of flexibility in the kind of readings you want to do. And so even within a theme, there is a kind of way you can subtly craft a kind of sub-theme. So conflict, yeah. social justice, and rhetoric can become about mass incarceration. Because right. that's what you make the readings about. Ideally, I think the place we would get to would be, I'm graduate student A, I'd like to propose a course on mass incarceration as kind of a first-year seminar, writing intensive, but on this subject, yeah. right? And that, I think, would be sort of a natural evolution of where, where, we're all, where, where we already are. I think, again, that depends on what the core does, Right. because I think it's possible the core committee will come and say, could you make your first-year course center around X? And I could live with that if it were instantiated in the core. Now, that might limit instructor's right. ability to kind of so it's I mean the short answer is we're not in the place now where I can say grad student X write me up a course proposal right and, and that's not that's not only because that's not because I wouldn't want to do that it's also just a function of time like yeah. that the as you'll soon discover the, there's not enough time I think for the coordinator to do 25 proposals like that right 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 um, which would probably have to go through the curriculum committee, and you know that would get into thornier administrative questions. So, I ho- if there is any freedom now, and I think there is some, it's saying, as we did, in, as I did in my section fifty ten. All right, you guys this week show up with a list of ten readings you think you want to assign within the theme that you've chosen, and let's let's have you get in groups and talk through those and why you want to do those. And I think part of orientation will be, of course, having people who've taught in those themes show up and talk about what they've done. And I think that kind of will, I don't know, percolate somehow yeah. through. But there is an absolute freedom yet. And I don't know if there will be. Yeah. And and maybe that's maybe not Maybe there shouldn't be. Yeah. Right, right. Freedom is the enemy of the noble soul. Well, this, right, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
That's going to be Stanley Fish once. That's going to put that on my door. So my question for you yes. is, is uh, like I've not already asked a bunch of questions. It was a weird transition. <laughs> but this is a serious question. This is, just, I, this is one I'm really interested okay. in. That was just this uh, unlike, thing. Unlike though. just the blathering we've been yeah. doing. Yeah. Is right. thinking about the tech writing course that we have and the business and professional writing course that we have. Right. Ask, so my question is is sort of helping me think through how what we've done at 1900 could either scale up or become resonant with what would happen right. in those courses. That in many ways, one of my interests is is the ways in which you've created this sort of very consistent 1900 that's that's still themed and fits with the department. Is there will be an, an analogous version of that, right? So right. that having a kind of professional writing course that might have right professional writing. And environment, like, uh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't oh, even be that right. explicit, but the but thinking about that course, yeah, more programmatically yeah, yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah. to an yeah. offering. So when the, someone looks at the writing program, it's a suite of courses. That's right. That are all that all have yeah. the same ethos and right and the ways in which even with with um, Heather Bozant Witcher, who's with the ways in which she's taught right. four thousand in ways that clearly have the DNA of nineteen hundred in them. Right, the right. way that media shows up as a as a complement to what's happening and the way that it's the class is iterative from beginning to end. Right. And so part of my question, or at least one of my goals is thinking about sort of not maybe scaling up is the wrong word, but taking the ways in which 1900 is a thing yeah. and making that now show up at a, at a different level in the curriculum. Yeah. I mean, I, th yeah, hey, that's a great question. And I think that is, that is, sh should be, the next sort of project. I mean, because you you know, there's you mentioned occupational therapy, right? Yeah. They're looking for a specific version of English four thousand. That's yeah. not necessarily what what the other versions of four thousand do. And so I think that the challenge. I mean, I, what I think what's going to happen in the new core is that we're all going to be teaching writing more, right? Because that's what's going to yeah. ask more for more than maybe what it's they've asked for before from the English department, right? And we'll see. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, that's that's not necessarily a an earth-shattering change insofar as I think the amount of writing instruction probably a lot of us do already, even in non-quote-unquote writing courses, is probably pretty significant anyway. Yeah. And it wouldn't be that hard if we, if the, if assuming the core committee comes up with a sort of standard definition of what constitutes a writing intensive course the way they've done, the way that college committee has done with, say, the diversity requirement, right? Mm -hmm. There are standards you have to meet to get that course, right. get that stamp of approval. But anyway, but to your question, I think, right, the, as you suggest, the the 4,000 maybe, or the tech writing course, they start to look like 1900 insofar as it's business and professional writing, colon, writing for nonprofits. Right. Business and professional writing, colon, writing for, I don't know, uh, you know, Neoliberal savagery. I don't yeah, know what it would be called. That's right? Yeah, something like that. I mean, can we get that in the curriculum? I, I dropped that in the. I yeah. saw, you saw that? I put that in the Google Drive last <laughs> right, night. Right. Yeah. Or t you know, tech writing for, or, or professional writing for for medical professions yeah. or therapeutic professions, right? Yeah. Whatever, however they would define themselves. I think we would need to develop though develop that sort of as you say suite of offerings, mm -hmm. so that when o OT says take English four thousand two. As opposed to business saying, ideally, take 4,001, right? Right. 
the issue there always is having enough time, staff, yeah, person power to do it. So part of my question was, yeah. well, not even part, I realized it's, it's I'm going to pretend it was part of my question. Right. So <laughs> my question was more robust than it really is, is going back to your, I think we're agreed on this, right? The idea of a core, smaller and fewer substitutions right. is part of why I'm thinking about having a 4,000, like you can't, you can't get what's in this class some other way. Right. But of course, as you mentioned, staffing well, that, right? So is thinking yeah. about, I'm also thinking internally, right? Is there a way that I can pitch a 4,000 that faculty then might also have the same kind of buy-in that they have at the 1900 level? If we right. imagine the department will be teaching more writing. Yeah. And of course, I always think of, you and I have talked about this before, is uh, Rachel Smith's Manifesto's class. Yeah. Which is, from a, a sort of writing and rhetorical pedagogical standpoint, perfect. I mean, it's, yeah. here is this genre. Mm -hmm. We can study it in all the ways literature faculty are used to thinking about it historically, culturally, critically, mm -hmm. all the, you know, hitting all the, while at the same time you're learning a genre then you, that you then can imitate, challenge, critique, you know, it's, it's, that's a way I think that just naturally lends itself to right. that sort of crossover. Now, how does that, how does that work to use your, you know, scale up to business and professional writing? That's a, that's a more difficult question in some ways because you're dealing with genres and situations that may be, although I, you know, I, I imagine many of us are dealing, uh, looking at those things. Like if we had, for example, English 4005 grant writing. Yeah. I mean, our faculty write grants all the time. Yeah. Right? I mean, they, that's, you know. Those are the kind of ways I'm thinking, right? Is there, and, are there. And is there, isn't there, there's not, at this Jesuit university, there wouldn't be a constituency of undergrads who are thinking about going into nonprofit work or, or education, whatever they're thinking about, where grant writing might come up, right? Yeah. So is that a way to do it, to say this is how you write in this genre and this is how you figure out who your funders might be? And right. um, Oh, the other thing. You, know, you mentioned Heather Witcher's class, which has really become the model for 4,000. Yeah. And how does it scale up from 1900? It's rhetorically based. Right. It's still purpose audience context text. There's nothing new about it. It's still... Which can, and I just went and sat in on some of her... Um, Oh yeah, the final presentation. The final presentations, and that is clearly what they are trying to do to to, to articulate a purpose, with varying degrees of success, mm -hmm. as in all student right. work, yeah, right? Yeah. But but it's rhetorical in the same way the multimodal project is in 1900. Yeah, I mean the same. I just had my um, both my seniors and my junior sophomore level class for their final assignment write a two page rhetorical defense of the choices they had made. Right, it's a process paper. Right. I love it when, and obviously they're my classes and very often the same students, so maybe it's not surprising, but when someone in the 3,000 level says, wait, is this just like an advanced version of the process paper? In yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. Is this internal programmatic consistency? Yes. I hope so. I hope so, <laughs> right. So I think, yeah, two things. One is that they're all, even, I mean, when Janella Moy taught the OT course that, that uh, you know, the OT faculty so often complimented for what it did for their student writing. It was entirely sort of, it did two things. One, it was designed for them. You know, Janelle was, had been a nurse, so she had some familiarity with kind of the, the sort of milieu of the mm -hmm. health professions and could kind of speak to that in some ways. But it was still all rhetorically driven, still included research. 
Um, the problem is it works because Janela happens to come right. with that background, right? right? And yeah. happens to be the type of graduate instructor and then adjunct faculty who's willing to go that extra mile to do all that stuff. And I think most people are willing. It's But, you know, Heather's 4,000, which has kind of become the standard, she just did that. Yeah. And thank God for me. Man, I didn't have to think about it. Yeah. But if she hadn't been there, I mean, some of that is just happenstance. Yeah. Um, so it's always a staffing. Yeah. No, issue. and I've and I've been thinking about it too. Is is moving it, is thinking about what the difference is, right? How you might articulate the difference between a nineteen hundred and a four thousand, right? Um, and oftentimes the mm, yeah the yeah. distinction is it's somehow more specialized, right? And I don't a as you point out that's going to be impossible to deliver, right? So it actually can't be more right. specialized, at least in a consistent way. So if I've moved, and, and Heather and I have taught about this because we were, we were having a discussion the other day about a student that had attendance problems in 4,000. Right. And apparently there's a designation where you can give an F or an F that's because of, because of attendance. Right. And what we realize is that's not really applicable in 4,000 because it's so project and work-based that if you're not there, there's no other way to do it. Right. And so what that struck me is the difference perhaps between a 1900 and a 4000 is not that it's more specialized, right. but that it's more independent. Yeah. Right. That in many ways, what makes 4000 4, interesting or compelling to teach is that it's very much the students articulate a project right. and then have to figure out how to execute well, it. And so it's, it's actually right. just a 1900 with the scaffolding gone. Yeah. And that's what marks it as it's not mm. necessarily more specialized or harder slightly or even, more grown up or even different genres or even it's just yeah. 1900 but but now you're a junior and a senior right so you actually i don't know what to do week 10 that yeah. depends on what it is you tell me <laughs> which is always i think a struggle for faculty both faculty graduate instructors because all of us i think struggle with the idea that as the teacher mm -hmm. i'm here to deliver yes and when you're telling them even with 1900, I, mean, I get this from graduate instructors all the time. What am I supposed to? And, and from faculty, like, yeah. so in the workshop weeks, you just what am I? I just kind of am there? I just? And and I and I know this because very often when I go to observe faculty, they're like, "Well, don't come that day. I'm not <laughs> teaching." Yes, yes, yeah. You know, and I'm, that's, that's yes, I'm not teaching that. day. I'm not teaching that day. Yeah. Right. Everyone thinks that teaching is doing my thing in front of the board. When actually, I think, I mean, consistently, the the best 1900s I observe. Are not the days where they're doing their thing in front of the board. Yeah, right. It's the it's the days where they're just circulating. Do a little thing, okay. Go forth and do likewise. Right. Yeah. It's a practice. Yeah. Right. And it strikes me that when I really enjoyed my four thousands, it's it's that. Yeah. But even less me. That's right. Which is I'm giving you ten minutes on this. Which and is then, upsetting. And it, then the next sixty-five, are you working it out? Or yeah. the next thirty-five, and then we'll spend the last twenty going over what you did. Yeah. This, I mean, it, it's more like a carpentry class. Than a, I don't know, what other. What's the opposite of carpentry? What's the opposite of? But I mean, it's a technical yeah. class. Like yeah. try this, and then I'll look at your work and tell you, yeah, you didn't quite measure that right, or this, this framing isn't going to hold actually under pressure, whatever it is yeah. you're saying, right? This this hit me once. I was teaching this class, um, and the there was a version of this class where the class as a whole was doing one big project, right? And they're going to break it up, right? And it was the day where they were supposed to brainstorm and decide what to do. And they kept looking at me. Right. And I just, I said, I'm going to leave. Yeah. I'm going to come back in 45 minutes and you need to be done with this. Right. And I went over to the global citizenship. There was right. still a cafe there and had right. a sandwich. Yeah. And came back. 
and it took them 20 minutes to do what I told them to do. And then they were already in their groups working on the whiteboards. And I realized that the most productive (laughs) day that semester was a day when I left and got lunch. That's right. And after my ego bruise went away. Yeah. And I realized like, oh, this is... That's them. That's... They did it. Right. If I'm doing it, they're not doing it. I mean, teaching should be um, striving for your own obsolescence. Yes. Right. At some point, they should be like, yeah, I I actually... I got it. Yeah. I got it. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. No, because... That's what they should be telling me. Right. The last month of the semester, I'm like the worst group member. Right. That's sabotaging it. Yeah. Like, did you guys watch X on TV last night? Yeah. Right. Because I don't have anything. Right. They've got stuff to do. You don't need me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of, I don't know, just almost running that by you, like kind of thinking about it as just, it's, it's not even scaled up. It's just, it's this... It's less scaffolding, I guess, is the best way I can that's possibly. Right. And that's that right. still then makes it robust enough right. that we've not over-specialized it yeah. so that it doesn't show up to some units right. on campus. Right. And we're not now on the hook to deliver a specialized course that's contingent upon having that one person. Well, that's all right. And, and dependent upon their, as we've discussed, they're oftentimes, particularly in the health professions, they're With very those. packed schedules. Uh-huh. and Which is... A, Huge issue for the core committee too. I mean, yeah. I was I was involved in this mentoring and mission committee, and we had some discussions about this. This had nothing to do with the core, but of course, you're talking about the core because you're talking about Jesuit issues. And you know, folks from nursing are like, "Listen, sophomore and junior year are gone, right? They are packed to the gills. I don't can't add anything." And whether or not there there will be arguments about that, because part of what's going on here is the Higher Learning Commission is saying. You guys need a core, and that's it, right? Right. I mean, I know some other schools have said, well, we just can't do it. And they've, been, I think, been told gently, I'm sure, um, if you if we want to be accredited, then we'll figure out a way to do this. Yeah. But it is a constant issue with this kind of specialized courses for, is that their schedules change, and this has always been an issue with the OT, right? You know, we, we schedule it, and then they have a chem lab at that time. Well, you know, um, so it's a part of the issue. I mean, it's a, and I don't know if I've always handled this very well, as I'm sure you know me. You know me for a while. You can imagine that sometimes they don't take very well to this. You know, sometimes my motto has been special orders do upset us, actually. These are the courses I have, right? Yeah. This is yeah. when they're offered. But, you know. You're also a sophist. Well. In which case, it's, there's a certain sense in which it's all special orders. It's all special <laughs> orders, right. And, and, it, and, of course, we're here to serve the, you know, what do you call them? Uh, students, mm-hmm. I think is what. Some people refer to them as. So when they need a, an accommodate, we've got to make it, right? But I think sometimes it's part of a... But to, to make a serious point, I think part of the larger issue with a lack of a core where writing is instantiated is that it sort of gets... It's this afterthought. Like, let me do the content. It's kind of, it kind of mirrors the conversation we were just having. I need to deliver my content somewhere else. Someone could teach them how to pretty it up, Right. And whatever the universal core does, I hope it starts to change the culture of that. Yeah. You know, like, no, 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 no. Those things should be happening at the same time, and you need to be involved in them as well. Yeah. Um, so I hope that's a that's a, an outcome that occurs with this new system, whatever it'll be. Well, that, that felt vaguely... That was good. Yeah? That was a nice wrap-up. Was it? So... Huh. Yeah. I just feel like I trailed off there at the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Um, but yeah, so, well, thanks for My pleasure. chatting. My pleasure. I have big shoes to fill. Not at all. I mean, sort of. Not at all.
Well, on behalf of everyone that teaches in the writing program, thank you for your service. Oh, well, thank you. So it's been I, my pleasure. It's been, it's been a pleasure to I, watch the program over the last uh, thank four you. years. And seriously, I, I've made a lot of jokes about, like, you know, I got 35 days in a wake-up or whatever, but I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to my next assignment, as they say, but um, it's, been, it's been great uh, to work with our graduate instructors and to work with the faculty and... I mean, I've had a lot of help running the writing program, but the other thing that's happened in the last few years is you building up the lab and this the series of podcasts that we're currently a part of. I mean, I think back, we mentioned earlier that I think it was maybe the first or second one you guys did, or at least in the early stages of that, that faculty discussion we had on the Disso Logoi as kind of the main assignment for the course and what was at stake with that and what made it difficult, right? Mm-hmm. The visibility of the lab as part of what, first year writing does. I mean, in this space, these resources, right, the way it's been built into the the course, I think also, I mean, it's a testament to your work over the last four years, and also makes us visible in a way that I think will be strategically important over the next, because the, the, the student learning outcome, number four, in the new core, speaks about written, oral, and visual communication. Yeah. There's a suggestion, very Ongian suggestion, that communication is multimodal. Well, right. it just so happens, folks. Yeah. We're already, we're already doing this. Yeah, and I think to add, I think a lot of the ways in which the, we originally pitched this, and Byron, who's the, who's, the, who's the silent partner in the room today, right. the idea that the podcast would also be a place that would bring in instructors right. and give instructors a kind of a voice yes. in the program. And so I think the last, I think this most recent season, even the themes of the episodes have brought in these various contingents right. of the graduate students teaching in the program. So it's, it's yeah, it's not even broadcasting what we're doing. It's also where we explore what we're doing. That's right. It goes back to what you were saying earlier about that ad hoc group when we weren't talking about the mechanics of the syllabus or what do we, you know, we were talking about, we were having a conversation about teaching. Yeah. And it's strange how infrequently we do that. Yeah. Um, and the main place we do it now, I would say, is this podcast series. Mm-hmm. And that's the main place where the department does public thinking about its pedagogy. Yeah. So thank you. All Happy right. to be a part of it. All right. Well, thanks again, Paul. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> If you'd like to be a part of this podcast series, please contact Natalie Whitaker at natalie.whitaker at slu.edu. This has been Season 4, over and out.